Good morning. How is everybody doing? Great, good, wonderful. You guys seen, what's it called, uh, what about Bob? I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful. Uh, you guys kind of hit it all. Awesome, well, good morning. So glad you're here at Grace Church. Um, I want to cover just a couple things before I get into the message. Uh, how many of you guys are going to come to the trunk or treat? Anybody in here going to come? Um, want to encourage you, uh, if you have not signed up for a trunk, we'd love to have you sign up. If you've never done a trunk, that's okay. Um, we'll help you. We'll help, we'll help coach you. All you got to do is just pick a theme, and we will help you supply for the candy, and it'll be a great time. But want to encourage you guys to come out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, last year, we kind of had to take a break. Everybody knows, right? Everybody took a break kind of last year. Um, so this year, we're going to go all in and uh, kind of combo with some different churches, which I know they've been talking to you about. Uh, the other thing is, just so you all know, too, uh, our backdrops. Has anybody noticed our backdrops are, have been off the stage for a minute? Like, kind of like looks a little different up here. Um, good news is I'm not going to be preaching from over there. We're going to still keep it up here. Um, but we are going to update those um, uh, just with a little bit of raw materials. We're going to kind of make it like metal and wood. And there's a handful of guys that have been helping us pick the different materials out. And that's going to kind of update this whole stage and kind of make it feel more warm and welcoming and friendly. And sorry about any of the cool strobes that we got. Did anybody notice the strobes last week that were going off? So we're working on it. We're working on it. We're getting it fixed just one week at a time. So just want to let you guys know about that stuff in case you're wondering what's going on. All right. So, um, this week, it's called Grace is Scandalous-er. Does anybody notice that that is a little similar to Clark's? Does, um, so uh, when we were coming up with this series, uh, we kind of were letting people pick what words they want to use, and I'm sitting in the room with Clark and Leslie and them, and Clark says, I'm going to call mine Grace is Scandalous. And I was like, that's a really good one. That sounds a lot like the word I was going to use. So... I just didn't want to speak up or say anything at the time, so I just kind of said, well, maybe I'll figure it out. One of, the, one of the staff people said, you should go ahead and use the word and add the letters ER in the end so you can still use that same word. So that's all this is, just in case. If you think I'm going to come out with something more scandalouser than what Clark did last week, it's incorrect. It's just a play on words. And I come up with words every week when I'm up here. I don't know if you guys notice. I just make up words. So I figured I'd just own it. And that way, y'all know, I'm just owning it. That's all I'm doing, okay? Um, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. So, uh, but I love, I love the two words, scandalous and grace, in the same sentence, right? Because they, they don't really sound like they should go together. They don't seem like the word scandalous, which sounds like scandal, right? Should be in the same word or in the same phrase as grace, um, but I, I love it because it's almost an oxymoron if you really think about it. Um, if you know what the word scandalous means, I think I have it in your bulletin, but the word scandalous means disgraceful. It means shameful or shocking or improper, right? And the question, I don't know if you guys, how long you guys have been going here for, but the question that constantly, I would say, circles us as a, you know, somebody that talks about grace is are you are y'all all still talking about grace? How many of you guys have heard that? Like it seems like there's more y'all. There's more topics than this whole grace message or this grace theme. And um, you know, like you guys not only call yourselves Grace Church, but you like have messages that have grace all throughout. Um, 
And, and I would say I'll agree with that. It's not just a good sermon series. It's not just a theme. It's not just something that we came up with or we think, oh, this is popular. Let's talk about grace for a little while. We do have it woven throughout all of our messages, and it's a part of our lives here. It's part of the culture that we do. It's kind of like, uh, how many of you guys have favorite songs and favorite CDs that you like play over and over and over again? Anybody like that in here? Or like, I know records are a little bit old school, but like it's kind of stuck on the same song, it seems like, right? But the truth of the matter is, um, you know, this isn't like, but you remember when people used to go out and buy CDs? You guys remember that? They don't really do it anymore. Everybody listens to YouTube or um, they download it on their phone or, but it, it seems as though we're stuck on the same song all the time. But what I want you to know is the reason why that is, is because it takes us back to what we felt. It takes us back to how we remembered when we first heard how good God actually is. And that's why I believe that that song is the same song we will forever sing here at Grace Church and hopefully beyond, uh, is we will be forever talking about grace. It never really gets old to us. My wife's that same way. She'll, she'll go and get a new thing, a new CD, and she'll put it in the car, and then she'll say, can you put it to number three? And I'm like, we just listened to that song. And she'll say, can you put it to number three, though? And so I'll put it to number three. And every time I get in the car, she has it on the same song. But it's just because it reminds you of that, that moment when you first heard it or experienced it. For me, in the 90s, uh, you guys will laugh, but uh, uh, you, you know, I didn't listen to uh, some of the modern music. But uh, you guys remember DC Talk? Everybody remember DC Talk? Uh, the song that I used to listen to was, uh, I think it was number three, actually. It was Consume Me. Does anybody remember Consume? You Consume Me, You Move Through Me, right? Remember that song? That was like my favorite Christian song before I liked, I didn't like Christian music at all. Like, all I knew was Carmen, and Carmen was not that great to me. I was like, sorry, those that love Carmen, that was just not my jam, okay? One of the reasons I think I stayed away from the Lord for so long was because of Carmen, but <laughs> that's no offense to those that like Carmen in here. Um, but the question is, are y'all still talking about grace? And the answer is yes. And we want you to know why, and that's why we're doing this series. We want you all to know why we're still talking about grace. And my story is kind of similar to Pastor Clark's, uh, but there are some very different things that, that I experienced in my walk. So he talked about how when he first came to know the Lord, you know, it was a radical experience, and he came out of this family and all this stuff. You remember all that? And then he talked about when he first started going to church and how he was kind of grossed out by some of the stuff, right? Like he kind of thought, man, it seems like they're telling you everything that you're doing wrong and how you need to get things right and all of that stuff. And so when I started going to church, uh, I had never had a relationship with God, and I had never experienced anything about God. I'd been to church before, but I thought uh, when they started telling me that all I had to do was pray, all I had to do was seek God, all I had to do was read my Bible, all I had to do was lead a few people to the Lord every year, I was like, game on. I'm going for this thing. I really thought I could kind of just be challenged and go for it. So that, I would say that's the major difference is when he first heard it, he was um, grossed out by it. I thought, let me, let me go as far as I can go into this thing. Um, go on the hamster wheel, per se. But, and that's kind of why I went to Bible school, too, is because uh, I thought, well, I want to stay on the same track. I don't want to get off track. I want to go to Bible school, and I want to learn everything there is to know about God. I want to know everything there is to know about how I can become more like Christ or how I can stay close to this God that I've been away from for so long, okay? 
And so Bible school was great. I will say I went to a phenomenal Bible school, and I did hear a lot of really good things about God. Um, and I think all the teachers were, were spot on as far as a lot of their teaching. But I will say there was a culture that was there that was not so good. Um, a lot of this other students, you know, they, I'd go around and everybody had a different revelation as to how you could stay close to God, right? Like everybody was like, well, you just got to pray longer and you can, you can really keep God in your life. Or um, they had like a prayer school and a healing school, which was, was great, but um, they'd tell me like, hey, you need to go to prayer school and healing school. And I'm like, well, I already go to Bible college and I need to go to prayer school and healing school. Um, where do I work? Uh, like, when does that come? And I actually have to earn money to pay for my bills. <laughs> but I felt like I was coming up short constantly because they were telling me you got to go to prayer school and Bible school in order to be spiritual. Um, same with, like, tithing, when they got on the topics of tithing. Like, by the time, and that was the first time I'd ever heard about tithing was when I was at Bible school, and I, or as far as, like, a, being a requirement. Somebody took me through Malachi and by the time they were done explaining to Malachi, I was like, man, I have to tithe even though I don't have any money and I'm broke and I'm eating Nutter Butters, which is what I talked about, you know, last time I shared my testimony, but I don't have any money to give. And they're telling me, like, if I don't give, well, God's going to keep things back from me. And so that kind of just started my journey of, man, I have to keep going on this track uh, further and further, and I don't know where it's going to end. Um, while I was there, uh, I did meet my wife. She's from Ohio. I was from Florida. And... Uh, we kind of, we both graduated together, got married together while we were at Bible school, and because uh, that's what all Bible school students do, is when they go to Bible school, they get married, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> but it worked out. Uh, that's what I always tell Gabe. Gabe's always like, I can't believe you guys got married so quick. I was like, that's what people do, man. So uh, at least back in the day, I don't know. Uh, anyways, that was a little trail. But so we graduated, and uh, her family had a real estate business, okay? And they flipped houses and remodeled. And one of the encouraging things that her dad said is, you should come back here and work for me, and I'll teach you business, okay? And so I thought, well, I, I know if we're going to be in ministry, that comes along with some business things, and I need to learn. So I moved back to Ohio, where she's from, and we started working. Uh, you know, I actually kind of started from the ground up, started doing construction, and I started rubbing shoulders with all these other construction workers that were, uh, I w you know, they're, they're Christian guys, but I could tell there was definitely some differences between them and I. Even though some of them have even been to Bible school and everything, I just talked about God so much that I couldn't stop talking about it. How many of you guys have been in a conversation with somebody like that where it's like, they, no matter what, they always feel like they're supposed to lead it back to God. There's always supposed to be some kind of illustration or something. That, and I, that was me. I just constantly felt like you can't just relax and have a conversation about how to actually like hang a cabinet properly. You know, like, well, the cabinet, if it was correct, then that would be, you know, the way God hung the planets and all this other stuff. And it's just like... My, the construction worker's like, could you please stop talking about God? Uh, and be, probably because I talked about God so much, you know, I felt like I should start a devotion before uh, construction. And so I'm talking, we're getting to the shop at 7 a.m., and I'm starting a devotion. And I don't know if you guys realize, but construction workers, they're all falling asleep while I'm having this devotion. And I'm dragging tea trying to tell them about God and Jesus, and I'm like, man, they're not feeling this at all. Um, so it took a little while, and I started to kind of balance out um, and realize, like, hey, if I'm going to survive here doing construction with these guys, I have to not maybe be so zealous about God, okay? Maybe I should talk to myself privately about God more or something. I don't know. Um, but I started kind of bouncing out. And the other thing is um, my father-in-law figured out, like, it's kind of like a, I was a leader type, and I had my own crew. And he started figuring out, like, when people were struggling, like, paying their rent or they are going through a hard time, that he could just take these guys and drop them off 
with me, and I would just take him under my wing. And one of the guys that uh, he did that with, his name was David George. And David George was, uh, he's in his 30s, I was in my early 20s, and he was pretty rough when he, when he showed up at the job site. Like literally, when I said my father-in-law dropped him off, he literally like got out and just dropped this guy off. So we're already, we're doing construction, and this guy comes walking up, and we have to start bringing him in, okay? And this guy was pretty rough. He'd been in and out of prison. He has tattoos all, all over. He looked pretty scary, kind of. He had, you know, tall, skinny guy. And uh, introduce myself and start talking to him. And I can tell he knows a little bit about construction, so this is going to work out good. Well, it's awkward because I'm trying to mix him with these other guys that we're all doing construction together too. Um, and these guys are Christians as well, but they're like, who is this guy? And I thought, well, let's just go to Wendy's because Wendy's makes everything less uncomfortable uh, than it is right now. And so we load up in the truck and we head to Wendy's. We start... Um, start having lunch, and I'm sitting across from him, and this guy's kind of trying to laugh while all the other construction workers are laughing, and uh, I can, I, I start to see, I'm like, you know, like, he's laughing, but he's not really into what we're talking about. He's trying to make it work, and so I felt kind of prompted just to ask him. I said, hey, I said, um, I said, you doing okay, David? That's all I asked him, right? And he said, yeah, I'm fine, like kind of quick and but I felt, again, to ask him the same thing. And I said, hey, David, I said, are you doing okay? And when I asked him the second time, I mean, tears just started rolling down his face, right? Like he just started pouring out. He said, I'm not doing, I'm doing awful. And come to find out, I didn't know this. <laughs> I wish my father-in-law had given me a little prep. But uh, he, was a meth, he was a meth dealer, okay? And he had been operating this meth lab out of his house, all right? And um, everything had gone haywire, um, him and his family had been broken apart because of all this, and that's why he was here in front of me. And so I began to tell him about God and tell him about Jesus and, um, you know, evangelize to him. And then we just were like, oh, let's just, let's pray for him. And we're, so we're, here we are in the middle of Wendy's in a rough part of town, and all these construction workers are feeling awkward because, like, man, Matt's talking to this guy about God. And so, but it was the only, I'm like, what else do you do? I don't know what else to do for him. So we just start praying for him, and everybody's praying for him, and it was just this miraculous amazing conversion, and you could tell instantly that something was different. You could tell the atmosphere while we were talking to him, something had changed and kind of broken off his life. And so I, I thought, you know, we went back to work, and I thought, you know, the, the trail that you want to do is you want to take somebody like that to church, right? Everybody knows that. Everybody's kind of the, hey, you, you get them saved, and then you got to take them to church. And so I, I said, hey, do you want to go to church this Sunday? And he said, yeah. And so he came to church with me, and, you know, he goes up front and gives his life to the Lord again, even though we gave, you know, he did it at Wendy's. He thought second time was a good one. So um, he did that. And then Wednesday, the following Wednesday, there was a baptism service. And so he wanted to get baptized. So we actually reached out to his family who was kind of hiding from him because, like I said, he wasn't a very good dude. And so they reached, we all reached out to him and said, hey, you should come watch your husband get baptized. And everybody came. And uh, it was awesome. It was in front of hundreds of people. And it was a really neat thing. And but it was only about a week or two later, and he started to, um, I don't know, he started to kind of tell me how um, the pastor was telling him a lot of things that, that weren't very good, that he felt like he didn't feel like he was basically good enough to even come to church. And, uh, you know, for me, I was confused because I'm like, man, I come to church, you know, I feel like they tell you what to do, and then you go home and you do it. And he felt like, man, this guy's telling me things that I'm just never going to accomplish. I'm never going to be that person. I'm never going to be that good. And I feel like your church is too Christian for me. And I was just, I was devastated. I was like, well, what are we, what are we supposed to do? 
Um, and so I thought, here he is, he's backsliding, so I need to kind of pull away from him. Anybody ever went through that? Like people start to quote unquote backslide and you got to pull back a little bit. And, and so I thought, I got to be careful, this guy, he might take me down. And I was, I was very disappointed about the whole situation. Same kind of thing happened again. Another guy named Jeff Washington, um, he, was, he was involved in a different kind of drug, um, but he was dropped off the same kind of thing and started, you know, started working with me and um, brought him to church. And um, this guy was, like I said, this guy was, he was rough and tumble. He'd been in and out of prison his whole life. And uh, actually when I knew him, he had these like uh, shards, like these scars where he had been um, shot like point blank with a shotgun right here uh, because of a drug deal gone wrong. Um, this is the kind of guy that we're talking about. So um, here he is, you know, coming to church with me. And the same story happened again is, I feel like your church is too Christian for me. I don't think I can go. And I'm devastated. This is the second person that is like amazing testimony, really cool thing. And now he just is telling me. So I started to think, maybe something's wrong with, with what we're talking about. Maybe something's wrong. Like if, if church is be- becoming a place that's just too hard for people to be able to live for God or be able to have a relationship with God, then I, I don't know. So... I questioned some things, and so a couple years went by, uh, me and my wife decided um, my youth pastor was going to move out to Arizona and possibly start a church, and so we prayed about it, um, we, we moved to Arizona, which is where he, he was moving to, and we kind of uh, got there, kind of landed, um, I, think we, I think it took probably six months of a transition for us to go, and when we got there, um, it was really good, <laughs> well, it was good for me, but uh, it was kind of traumatizing for my wife because uh, the first week we get there, we go into this little cowboy church, and they're baptizing people in a horse trough, okay? Um, and I thought that was pretty amazing. I was like, wow, this is so fascinating, like horse trough, like we're almost on the mission field, okay? And then I went to, uh, we took a, went to a cattle branding that same week, um, which I thought that was fascinating, you know, wrestling these like little steer, or these little bulls down, and um, Branding them, and my wife's leaning against the fence, thinking, "What's my life all about?" And then that Sunday, we had our first church service uh, in a little 800 square foot building with about 20 people. And I am like worshiping the Lord. I'm positive this is God in this moment. Meanwhile, my wife's in the bathroom crying, thinking, "We missed God. There's no way that we're called to this little bitty town, cowboy town, to live this life right now." Right? Um, I didn't realize. We were on two different pages about it, but eventually she, she heard from God and knew we were at the right place. But uh, we, continu- we continued uh, going there, and the church actually kind of blew up. Um, it went from 20 people, and we kept growing, and um, had to get a building and another building, and we kept growing. Um, and eventually we had to make like a senior pastor, an associate pastor, and a youth pastor. And um, because Ruthie and I had gone to school and taken some of those classes for youth, we're like, well, we're already trained in youth. Let's go ahead and do the youth ministry. So we're doing the youth ministry, and I'm, I'm preaching to these students. And here I think, I'm going to come out of the gates, and I'm going to tell these kids how to live right. Okay? I'm going to tell them ethics. I'm going to tell them standards. I'm going to tell them how to live for Jesus. Okay? And every time I'm doing it, I'm noticing they're yawning. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, they're not excited about stuff. So I teach them with more enthusiasm. I'm like, maybe if I give them more of something, excitement, I jump around and have illustrations. And I'm like, they're still not into it. They're still, they're they're just yawning. Uh, They're bringing their friends and stuff and it's growing, but the excitement isn't there. So um, 
you know, I went home and I was like praying about it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to teach them about righteousness. Okay, I'm going to teach them. And what I, had, I thought was righteousness was I'm going to teach them how to live right with God. Okay, I'm going to teach them the right things to do and how to go along. And so I took my Bible and I took some Bible school notes and I laid it all on the floor and I'm, I'm studying and I'm reading. And I, the more I read, the more I realized I'm like, my Bible school teachers, they don't even seem to know what righteousness is because in one, one moment, they're telling us to live for God and to be right. And the next moment they're saying, you already are right. And I'm like, well, if we already are right, then why are you telling everybody to continue to be right? What's this whole What's this about? Like, what are we studying? So I, I started reading. I'm just like, I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm going to go to Romans uh, 5. So if you guys, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. I'm going to make sure I skip up to it. But it's Romans 5, 17. It's actually a verse that you hear around here pretty often. And like I said, at the time, um, no, you didn't hear anybody talking about grace. You didn't hear anybody talking about righteousness. Like, it was a real uh, rare topic. Um, so Romans 5.17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace of the gift of righteous, righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by, verse 18, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I knew that was Adam. I'm like, okay, got this down. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, this is verse 20, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I was looking up all these words in the Greek and I, I was finding that this word abound means to superabound. Okay, grace did much more superabound. And then verse 21, it says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, and I knew that these verses right here uh, were like letters to, to the Romans, right? And so I'm like, let me just take away the numbers. And I read it just kind of like it was a letter. And I didn't look at the chapters or anything. And these next verses were the kicker for me, okay? Romans 6, 1 and 2, it says, um, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And in verse 2, it says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And you skip down to verse 14 and 15, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, it says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Okay, so what I want you to see is, like, how many of you guys know, we, we quoted John 3:16 a couple weeks ago, uh, and, you know, everybody knows the, for God so loved the world, Right? And everybody kind of spends a lot of time on that where it's like, God so loved the world, okay? And, and you talk about it and you preach it and everybody understands, man, he really loves us, okay? But here's what I want you to understand about what I just read to you is you are so righteous. You are so righteous that Paul 
had to say, does grace abound so that sin can abound? God forbid. Does grace abound so that sin can abound? God forbid. Does grace abound so that sin can abound? And I kept reading it over and over and over and over again. And my, I'm in the living room. I'm like, I, my wife was cutting hair at the time. I'm like, I cannot wait till she comes home because I don't know what I'm reading right now. I don't understand why this is doing it. So she walks in. I'm like, Ruthie, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Paul is saying that we're so righteous that nothing can make us unrighteous. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this grace is so radical that he was even blown away. And he had to say, does it abound so that sin can abound? God forbid. God's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. And I said, what if I, instead of telling all the kids everything that they need to do, students, sorry, not kids. If, if I tell all the students, instead of telling them all, that you got to do this in order to be righteous, that you got to do this in order to be righteous, what if I started telling them that they're already righteous, right? And she goes, I'll never forget what she said. She said, she goes, you may as well. She goes, because they're not listening to you anyways. <laughs> and I was like, I, I can take that. I, I know what you're saying there. That was, I think that was encouraging to me, right? And so I took what I was learning, and I went to the youth group that Wednesday. I think it was on a Wednesday when I was getting this revelation, and I'm like, I'm going to just tell them that they're righteous. And when I started telling them, I could feel the atmosphere change in, in this little youth room with, I don't know, I think we had like 50 students at the time, and I could, I could feel everything change, whereas I'm usually like, I was like this, I could just, I could tell, I was telling them righteous, and it was reminding me how righteous I was. Like, it was, it was kind of reverberating off of them, and I could see their eyes lighting up, and I could tell, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a gold mine, that I, here I am, I'm spending, I spent two years trying to tell them how to be right with God, never realizing that they were as right with God as they're ever going to be. And... And when I did that, I, I was like, I was like, I should probably call the pastor to make sure that this is okay. <laughs> and what's funny is when I called him, I, the response I got was shocking. He said, Matthew, he said, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing what you're talking about. We talked for like three hours that day. He's like, Matt, I'm, I can't shut it off. It's kind of like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right? It's like that meme that they say that Batman is two Wolverines kissing together, right? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> right? And that's how this righteousness was. I was like, and then we, we kept talking, and he's like, Matt, he's like, have you ever heard of this Joseph Prince guy? And I was like, oh, who is that? He kind of explained it, and I was like, isn't he the guy that has like this weird mullet and like has weird clothes and you can't understand what he's saying, right? I was like, I, I, was like, I think I know who he is. He goes, you should listen to him. And I remembered I had bought a book uh, called Highly Favored a year before that only because it was the only book that didn't sound motivational and condemning and you got to do this. I'm like, well, it sounds like it's nice. So when I, I, I went to go look at my library and I pulled that book out and I started reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the same stuff that I'm talking about. And um, I could tell though, like it was kind of just... Um, I was just on a journey that I needed to still kind of keep going. And I, 
I was talking to Pastor Clark the other day. It's kind of like, I think conceptually I understood it, right? Like mentally, but I was still operating out of a lot of the religious stuff that I had done. Do you guys remember that? It's like you get it, but then you got to unlearn all of the stuff. And then you got to start trying to instinctively live it out. And he, him and I were talking about there's people in our lives that, that they just get it. They just get grace automatically. Like you don't have to like give them the Romans 5.17 and all the stuff that I just gave you guys, right? Um, my mom was like that. Like she's like, when she started coming to church, she's like, I get grace. I've understood it for 30 years. You know, like I don't need all that. Yeah. Right? Um, but I could still, I, and one of the reasons why I could still tell that I was dealing with stuff is because y'all remember, um, and please don't um, be offended by this, uh, right? It's always the saying I got to say before. But uh, you remember the Starbucks cups, right? Everybody remembers Starbucks cups. Y'all remember when they took the Christmas stuff off the Starbucks cups? You remember that? Like those dirty, rotten Starbucks people, right? And uh, so I remember my, one of my youth called me and he's like, Matt, he's like, the, I'm, he goes, I'm arguing, first of all, he's like, I'm arguing with this lady that went to our church uh, on Facebook right now about how wrong it is, or no, she was saying how wrong it is that they took those Christmas things off of Starbucks cups, right? And he's saying, I think that the guy's a business owner and he's allowed to do whatever he wants, okay? And he explained the whole scenario. And I remember kind of like coming down on him about that because, you know, I feel like, well, they're taking Christ out of Christmas and all this other stuff. And I kind of like, and he was like, well, I just I disagree. And this lady was super religious that I was lining up with. I mean, I, I thought at that time that she was super religious. And I remember hanging up the phone and I remember talking to God. And I was like, why did I just come down on one of my students about something so silly? And what I could tell is I still had a lot of religion in there. Right? And I think, I think sometimes that's how this whole grace thing is, is I think that we can understand it conceptually, but it takes a while for it to operate out of our lives. Um, another time, about the same time, um, I found out there was somebody that was in ministry that I didn't really think um, ethically wise should have been in ministry, right? Or I just, maybe what they stood for or whatever. And I didn't, I didn't like it. And I remember really being feisty about it. And this, this is about eight years ago. And I remember talking to God and saying, God, why am I so angry about this? Why am I so upset? Because I don't think, you know, I'm telling him, like, I don't think that person deserves to be in ministry. And it was one of those moments I'm building a deck and with my brother-in-law, I don't know why God always like talks to me when I'm, maybe it's because I'm not listening to anything, <laughs> but I'm working and he says, he said, do you think that my disciples were perfect? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, were, were, were they? He goes, no. He's like, they were teenagers, okay? They were young people, and they had all sorts of dysfunctions and things that were not, that were imperfect about their lives, but yet I used them to change the face of the planet, okay? He said, it doesn't matter what vessel I'm using it through to get my message out, and, he, and one of the phrases he said to me was similar to what Clark said is, if my grace doesn't seem scandalous, it's not really grace, Right? And I would say that to all of us, is if grace seems like it should just, you know, like, the, okay, well, that person deserves grace, and now I see why, oh, they, they're getting grace, okay? If it seems like that, then it's not really grace. Why? Because it sets us all on equal ground. It sets us all on equal ground. Oh, Clark, Clark said, too, he said, grace is scandalous to the flesh and to religion, 
right? I love that. Because, um, you know, I kind of thought I was somebody that deserved grace. I thought I could earn grace. I thought I had reached the pinnacle of being able to deserve grace. Philippians, I love what Paul said. He said, Philippians 3, he said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, right? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's Philippians 3, 7, if you're wondering. Um, but here's what I'll tell you is, uh, I shouldn't be somebody that's up here talking to you about grace. Like, I don't believe I should be that person because I felt like at the time, I, like you had to earn grace. And I think that's why it's scandalous to me is because it's, it's scandalous because I thought it was a journey. Like I thought in order to get, become righteous, in order to get in God's favor, that you gotta work to get there. That you have to climb up the ladder of righteousness. I, and I thought, man, I have arrived and now it's my job to tell everybody else how to get that for themselves. And I felt like I was knocked off my high horse during those times, but that's why it's scandalous grace. Because when grace seems to be disgraceful, shameful, or shocking and proper, that's true grace. It's pure grace. And I think, I think when we can begin to look at people in a way that God does, I believe that that's when this scandalous grace is working through our life. I believe I've led more people to the Lord and it stuck because I was able to show them how much God loves them. I believe that I was able to show them grace. It's funny because once you understand what I'm talking about, once you understand this scandalous grace, it's really funny because when you, all of a sudden you begin to stop looking at people in the way that you did, where you thought, well, I've got to get, I've got to make them a project. I've got to get them saved. I've got to work on them. And now once they're saved, then I got to get them to do step one, two, and three, and four, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, <laughs> go through the, the first steps at church. But here's what I want you to know is it's not about that. It's not about that. And the moment you begin to realize that and function into that, it all comes together. That's why we keep singing this song. That's why we keep getting stuck on this song is because grace isn't just a message. It's the song that every time we put it on, it reminds us of what God has done for us and how righteous we already are. We are so righteous. We are so righteous. It's more scandalous-er than you can ever imagine. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray over you. God, we just, we thank you, God, for everybody that's in here, God. Would you lift your hands, God? We thank you, God. We speak life, God. I thank you, God, that we are more 
righteous than we'll ever realize. We're more right with you. Scripture says that we are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get any more righteous than that, God. And I thank you, God, that you're revealing to us what your grace is. You're reminding us of those things. It's not redundant to go back to the song that, re- that reminds us of why we came into this whole thing in the first place. It's not about going back to our first love. God, this is the love that we get to experience on a daily basis. And we get to walk this with you and we trust in you, God, that you're revealing that to each one. And everybody said, amen.